0: In the 24th episode of The Deming Lens, we discuss point number nine of Dr. Deming's 14 points, breakdown barriers between staff areas. Hi, I'm Trip Babbitt, host of The Deming Lens. And in this episode, We continue our series on Dr. Deming's 14 points with point nine, breakdown barriers between staff areas. Let's listen to Dr. Deming comment on point nine.
1: As it is, most staff areas in a company, purchasing, sales, manufacturing, personnel, finance, research, development, are independent kingdoms. Each one trying to maximize his own profit. And anybody can do it. At the destruction of the company, Sure, purchasing department can buy anything cheaper. And they are rated, in most cases, on savings over standard costs, over costs a year ago. Not counting the destruction of quality that is thereby brought about, not cooperating with manufacturing and sales, showing a profit in his own kingdom if he's if his rating depends on that, can you blame him for doing it? Not a matter of blame, what will happen exactly what's happening? destruction of the rest of the company point nine
0: is Very deep. (laughs) There's a lot of things associated with, uh, point nine that need to be addressed. And and I think you first have to start with history. I, I believe the barriers between departments historically happened uh, back with Frederick Taylor in the early 1900s where he separated the work and, and what I call the functional separation of work, where someone working a lathe, for instance, would just do lathe work. They wouldn't go get their own materials. Somebody else was hired to do that. They had a manager. Someone else was hired to do that. And so you had this makeup of breaking down a kind of reductionist type thinking, where you're breaking down the pieces To their smallest detail and trying to optimize the pieces that are out there and this reductionist thinking doesn't address really the synthesis that's involved in what in dr deming's system of profound knowledge we talk about systems that is that when we put them all back together they don't just they aren't the sum of their parts; they're exponential in the fact that there's interactions that are going on in those parts. But this is the still the prevalent thinking of today. I mean, if you can imagine management is still stuck in thinking from the early 1900s, literally. I, there is very little difference. People have not advanced uh, in general. Uh, and I would say mostly, probably 90% or more companies are still operating with this kind of reductionist, Frederick Taylor, scientific management type of method. But they don't know it. It's just, it's a logical, they logically deduct that this, this makes sense. You know, of course you have incentives and of course you break down the work. And of course, this is how we go about resolving problems. Uh, I would encourage people to take time out. If you're really interested in Dr. Deming's thinking, um, there's an excellent book. It's called Deming's Profound Changes. And it was written by Ken day levine and Dan Robertson. And Dan sits on the board of the uh, Deming Institute, uh, the advisory board or advisory council. And I can't tell you how big a difference it makes having read that book uh, and understanding kind of what happened. And we have to remember that Deming's profound changes originated from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Perry Gluckman, and and, uh, Dan Robertson and Ken De were basically students of his at HP and IBM. And uh, he, uh, Perry Gluckman became ill, um, terminally ill, and Ken and Dan went about and, and put his thoughts together. And Perry, being a student of Dr. Deming at NYU, was told these things by Dr. Deming about the difference in Frederick Taylor's thinking and his thinking, in essence, and what he put together in his system of profound knowledge. It would take me more than a podcast <laughs> to go through the depth of what's in that book, but it will start to turn light bulbs on if you read it and understand how Deming's thinking is so much different than Taylor's thinking and almost, I hate to use the word a checklist, but, but, uh, becomes something that when you start to realize that you're actually operating in something over a hundred years old and newer and better ways have come about and do things, but companies aren't adapting it. It's really quite astonishing, especially with all the technology that we have today that we still have not advanced beyond uh, this Frederick Taylor scientific management type of thinking, this reductionist thinking. So as a base, you have to understand historically that we break things down, and this is why we have the functional separation of work. It's in our history. We have sales. We have operations. We have marketing. We have all the different pieces that have been broken down within an organization. And when you look at manufacturing, there are good reasons sometimes to break down uh, or Reasons to have uh different departments, and that the functional separation of work makes a lot of sense. you can't have somebody manufacturing something and then you know going out and selling something it's it's just not practical, but what that's bred is a lot of well, I get incentives for making a sale, I get incentives for manufacturing pieces, and these things can come into conflict. Uh, especially if we go back to the basics of Frederick Taylor, which now instead of Taylorism, we have Neo-Taylorism, uh, as uh, Dr. Perry Gluckman uh, apparently used this term to how Taylorism has advanced, but not really <laughs> – um, so, we have to go back to uh understand that history, and when we functionally separate the work like we do in manufacturing um like I said, there's good reasons to uh break apart because we can't have it's just not practical to have people out making sales calls and coming back and machining, although there are people that do that in small companies uh Now we don't have the same problem with service industry. And I've always been amazed at how service has copied manufacturing. We functionally separated the departments when we don't need to. Often, oftentimes there might be good reasons to, but to have just different departments, um, it is sometimes just nonsensical and they don't work together. Uh, we take a telecom, company, you you have your contact center, you have your uh, technicians that go out and set things up. Now, I'm not saying that those aren't two different jobs that that need to be done, but they're never done in coordination with each other, and they certainly aren't done in coordination with what the uh, customer is looking for. Because I have to call the contact center, and then I set up an appointment, and then uh, there's this communication breakdown that happens with the technician. They're separated, and they remain that way. And this is the frustration that we all have with our cable companies and uh, our telecoms and people, because we call in, and we get a... Uh, it's a contact center agent, and they've got to transfer us or get back to us or do something. And it just doesn't work very cleanly. Um, and so service industry has lots of opportunity to relook at their functional separation of work. And if you're in a service industry, I'd encourage you to do so. And the larger the organization gets, the less coordination there is between uh, the groups. So structure in essence leads to the mentality of the conversations that you have some time between groups, and probably the phrase that encapsulates it best is stay in your lane. Uh that's my department. You know, you do go do your thing and I'm gonna go do mine. Uh, and the causes of these, other than just Frederick Taylor and the history, as these things have gone on, the barriers are goals and rewards and performance appraisals kind of lock them in. So we have this structure element of functionally separating the work in order to gain control, because that is what Frederick Taylor's mindset was, was control control. And then we have a profit dividend uh, type of thing going on where you have to have a profit. Now, I've used this story before um, in, uh, in pod- the Deming podcast, and one of the things that I experienced that was probably the most egregious and probably the safest because the company got bought out, not that the new management was much better, but was when I was uh, working with a uh transaction switching company, but they also did uh ATMs. And what happened was everybody was supposed to be their own profit center and they'd centralized a lot of the operations. And this is really how when things get crazy. Um, so what had happened was some of the salespeople had had come and said they weren't able to compete and get new ATMs because the phone lines were too expensive. And I kept digging in and, you know, Indiana had a price for their phone lines and, you know, Ohio had a, had a price for their phone lines. New Jersey had a price for their phone lines. Well, as we dug deeper into it, we found that the central, we, this company had large tech company had centralized, uh, their phone operations. And for the most part, that didn't make any difference to many of the, uh, divisions within this tech company, because it was usually long distance calls and things of that sort. But because we were competing on the ATMs and their corresponding phone lines, the three times the cost of what it was to to get one, uh, it became very difficult to compete. And so a $50 phone line, they may be charging us in a centralized area within the same company, $200 because they had to be a profit center. And therein lies the difficulty. And we, yeah, I still see this going on in large companies today. Each area has to be its own profit center. And then the competition begins and the craziness begins. So this company that I work with eventually. Uh, sold off to another company, which just entered a whole new set of problems that were different than the ones that the previous one did. Um, little bit better thinking, but not much. And in some areas, probably much worse. Um, there was a lot of emphasis on uh, the individual. But uh, so when we look at those causes of of the barriers or when we look at the barriers that are out there, the things they're causing are the goals and the rewards that are split split out by a functional area, a sales goal versus an operational goal. And sometimes those things come in conflict. And we have to go back to that reductionist type of thinking that just breaking it down into pieces is not going to help make the whole. And this is actually one of the mistakes that I made early in my uh, consulting career, because one of the things that I did was I did something called a system map, and we would have a uh, larger goal for the executives and then the middle managers and so forth, and we would continue to break them down without the realization that the synthesis is what really mattered. So the place to begin, and I guess from my viewpoint, what is the fix? um that that we could do for this problem and point nine uh breaking down the barriers basically between the staff areas is uh you know in the old days I would say get rid of the rewards, get rid of performance prayers, get rid of goals, and companies would freak out but i think you have to start with the the shared aim there has to be an aim associated where everybody is looking at the same thing and then realizing that you know sometimes hr has to give up something sometimes the centralized telecom area has to take a loss in order for the company to win and that's coming to the realization that we can't have 20 prima donna Departments all trying to optimize themselves and still have a system that synth- synthesizes enough that we gain benefit in an exponential way. Because it's not the addition of the parts; it's the interaction of the parts. And and so, starting with the shared aim, this is the place to begin, really, for any organization. I have broken out AIM into three areas. It has something to do with the customer. It has something to do with the innovation and looking at the future. And it also has to do something I've added in in the last decade is looking to the greater good. And this becomes very important, especially uh, with millennials. They, what greater good are we doing as an organization? The the profit motive and all of that is not prevalent with with these this group of people. So you have, you have to have something out there and it makes sense. I mean, yeah, there has to be something more that we're making things better for society and not just for ourselves. The other thing I would look at is the structure of your organization. Um, you know, if you're a manufacturing firm, there may be very good reasons to have things functionally separated, but if you're in service, you don't have the same, a lot of the same restraints associated with it. How can a group of people serve a customer uh, in such a way that the customer is getting what they want out of it? And as I've stated earlier, customers have a hard time getting the value out of, out of an organization when they're being transferred and their phone calls or they get incomplete answers uh, from the people that they're coming into contact with. And, you know, the contact centers and service organizations, wherever is answering that phone is the company from the customer's perspective. So how are you able to deliver end-to-end service in the way that the customer thinks about it in order to deliver? I believe that looking at those two things for starters, the structure and, and coming up with a shared aim that everybody's looking at and not from a departmental perspective, uh, are good places to start in order to fix your system. Then I think you can start to look at how do our rewards then inhibit that. How do our goals inhibit, uh, achieving our aim? Uh, what do performance appraisals do that help us not do anything other than compete with each other? Um, these are all things that are happening within organizations today. It's not changed that much. I've worked with organizations for 30 years, different ones in different industries, and you can see the same stuff. And the larger the organization, the worse it gets. I do see organizations, uh, especially younger, uh, wrong tech companies, uh with uh, younger leaders trying to do the right things, but they don't have the system of profound knowledge to guide them, and I quickly see them, especially as they grow, falling into the same traps of this Tayloristic-type thinking. So Dr. Deming's point number nine, very deep, breaking down barriers between staff areas. Like I said, I probably talk about this for quite a while, already have. So I'm going to end it here. And if you have questions, you can reach me at trip, T-R-I-P-P, at deming.org. And I hope you enjoyed this episode because it's an important one. Uh, the the, ni- the ninth point stands out. And I also don't want to lose fact of th- that these 14 points are really part of Dr. Deming's system of profound knowledge. Uh, as he would call in later years, it is much more encompassing and becomes a philosophy um, that not only encompasses the 14 points, but also much, much more. Thank you for listening to the Deming Institute podcast. Stay updated on the latest blogs, podcasts, programs, and other activities at deming.org.